Haggai chapter 1, and I'll begin reading with verse, we'll back up a little bit from what I'd planned. Verse 3, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages, could put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. You may be seated. There are some things that bring God pleasure, things that he are, is definitely pleased with. And there are some things with which he is well pleased. There are some things that God will not accept, things that cause God to withdraw his blessings, things that he is offended by. I don't know about you, but I need God's favor. I need God's blessing. I want him to be pleased with my life. I need to be able to rely upon his promises, the never-failing promises of God. I need the blessing of the Lord like the prayer of Jabez, with which we have become very well acquainted by all the advertisement in the book and the sermons. Even here, Jerry has preached sermons from it. Bless me indeed. Keep on blessing me. Everybody in favor of that? Don't stop blessing me. Enlarge my coast. Let your hand be with me. Keep me from evil. It's a good prayer. And then Jesus taught us a prayer. He said, after this manner shall you pray. And he gave what is termed the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's the disciples' prayer the Lord gave for them to pray. And in that prayer is found this phrase. Give us this day our daily bread. He taught us to depend on him, to trust him for our daily sustenance, for the provisions that keep us alive, that keep us in good health. Give us this day our daily bread. Included in that is the spiritual bread, the word of God, the daily portion that we must have for our spiritual life to thrive and prosper. I need the blessing for daily bread. Bread is important to me. I love bread. I don't want a meal without bread. My wife will tell you. I love bread. 21 days of fasting, doing without bread was a real sacrifice if I just did without bread. <laughs> now the nutritionist and the doctors and the dietitians take everything that's good away from you. If 
it is good, it's not good for you. John Maxwell had a heart attack. And the doctor says, John, no more peanut butter. No more ice cream. No more Krispy Kreme donuts. No more Cokes. He was addicted to all of them. Took it away from him. I was listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes preacher along this line about how that our health is important to our spiritual relationship. And he was talking about how the doctors take everything that is good away and they leave you just with barely hardly anything to survive on. And he leaned over the pulpit and he said, I have to have something. <laughs> We're all agreed we have to have something. Twice in this chapter, in verse 5 and in verse 7, God told the nation of Israel through Haggai the prophet, consider your ways. You see, these captives who had been exiled in the land of Babylon for 70 years were allowed to go back to Israel, to their homeland, and rebuild their houses and restore their vineyards and plant their crops and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. And so Haggai the prophet was an encourager to see to it that they did not neglect their responsibilities of coming from exile and being restored to the land. They were dwelling in sealed houses now. Their first priority was to get a roof over their head and to establish their homes and plant their gardens and their crops. And so he spoke to them and said, is it right for you to dwell in sealed houses? And this house, the house of the Lord, the temple, lie in waste? And in verse 6, he gave the scathing indictment. Ye have sown much and bring in little. You've sown much and bring in little. The farmers planted in hope. Every person who is a gardener or a farmer, or if you just have household plants, when you plant, you have hopes that there will be the product that you anticipate, adding beauty or maybe food, whatever its purpose is, and you expect it to be accomplished. But their barns were empty. They planted seed, but their barns were empty. Their crops had failed. Their flocks were lean and starving. Their families were hungry. There was not enough bread to eat. A famine stalked the land. Now, America does not understand famine. We've had lean days, we, the Great Depression, there were long food lines, and there were families that did not have adequate nutrition. But I'm telling you, we don't know the meaning of the word famine. You've seen on television the bloated stomachs, the sunken eyes. You've seen the dead and the dying in Ethiopia and other parts of the world where famine has been rampant. We don't understand that. We have not encountered that locally. 
There's none of that to speak of in America. And so we're, we're, un, we're not acquainted with it. But God said to Israel, you've sown much, but you bring in little. It's a sad thing when a farmer in harvest doesn't reap the harvest that he anticipated. He will not be able to pay his mortgage debt. He will not be able to stock his barns with food to carry them through the winter. The animals will suffer. His family will suffer. You know what? You brought in little. You know what that means? You want me to give you a, a translation, a modern translation for that? Not enough. Not enough. Have you ever drawn a paycheck and after the deductions, you looked at it and said, it's not enough. I mean, you've looked at that stack of bills. It's not enough. Food and drink, but they're still hungry. Clothing, but nobody's warm. It's not enough. It's not adequate. In verse 6, he said, you have earned your wages, but you have put it into bags with holes in it. You've put your wages into bags with holes in it. We know that's not a good investment, don't we? We know that's not sound advice to put it in a place where it's just going to be, go right out. And I brought along a little illustration. I'll find it. Put it in bags with holes in it. I don't care how much you make. I don't care how wealthy you are. When it starts sifting through the holes, when it begins to find the way to be vacuumed out and you're left with nothing, then you understand the meaning of putting your wealth into bags with holes in it. Not a very good prospect. It means a total loss. It results in bankruptcy. In salaries, now we understand salaries being cut back, benefits being changed, retirement plans being done away with, overtime being canceled, getting a slip that says that you're not employed any longer. America is becoming acquainted with wages being put into bags with holes in it. Soon the savings are gone. Pretty soon there's nothing to fall back on. There's nothing for a rainy day, and it looks like storms are coming. We understand what it means for giant corporations like Enron to have the people at the top siphoning off knowing what is taking place and advising the people to invest in their company while they know it's going to go south, it's going under. People's lifetime savings gone, their retirement benefits gone, their jobs gone. The villains hiding behind the Fifth Amendment are taking their own life by suicide. Employees left holding the bag with nothing but holes. Wealth, bankruptcy.
vaporized into thin air. In verse 9, you looked for much, and it came to little. You brought it home, and I did blow upon it. All the prophets disappeared. You looked for much. You expected gain. You expected profit. You expected earnings. But you brought it home. The indictment was, you're living in sealed houses. My house lies waste. Nothing's been brought into the treasury. You're not tithing. You're not giving. My house lies waste. There's nothing being done there. And you're bringing everything home. Is this where we are? Have we become self-centered? Is it possible that we would live such lives that our comforts, our investments, our future, our family, our pleasures mean so much to us that we begin to siphon off the tithing? We begin to take missions funds and building funds that God has spoken to us about and we use them you looked for much, but you brought it home. You held on to the seed. You didn't plant that seed. You brought it home. It's on the shelf. It's in the furniture. It's invested in the automobiles, in the sports cars, in the hunting television sets, in cell phones, which have become an essential, I understand. You have all these things. You dwell in sealed houses, lined with cedar, indicators of wealth. But my house, you've ignored. You have not kept up with your responsibilities. The big question, why? Because of mine house that is wasted and you run every man to his own house, verse 9. What went wrong? Money was put into bags in verse 6, not into the treasury, verse 9. You brought it home, not to the house of the Lord, and I did blow upon it. God wants you to have plenty. God wants to prosper you. God wants to bless you, but he never wants you to take that which belongs to him and use it for personal use. He wants to give you resources, and you may not be there today. You may be going through the valley, but look for the, look for the new day that's coming. Keep planting seed. There will be a harvest. Be faithful. God will turn things around, and he certainly doesn't mind you having wealth. He certainly is the one that you will give the praise and the glory to when he blesses you. You must give him the praise. But always remember that his house must never be waste as far as your investment is concerned. It may be fine because other people are picking up the load and they're carrying the load of responsibility, but as far as your personal investment, you've allowed your end of the bargain to be let down and you're investing it in all kinds of things rather than in the kingdom of God. When Vision 2000 began five years ago, my wife and I made a very large pledge we did not wait until we could afford to pay that pledge. We began every week, every single week, every seven days. We took out of our income and put it towards Vision 2000 in addition to the tithing. 
in addition to missionary giving, in addition to everything else, supporting radio and television, there was a designated amount that we believe God wanted us to have a part. You know why I've enjoyed this building? I've got an investment here. Every time I walk in here, day or night, any day of the week, any time I come in here and I see it filled with people or I see it empty, I'm blessed because I know that God helped me to make it possible. And friends, that's a good feeling. It's important to start planting. If you have not done it, if you haven't made an investment in this building, I encourage you, it's not too late. We still owe $3 million. <laughs> we raised $3.5 million. And praise God, this past year, we reduced the debt on this building by $1.5 million, almost $1.5 million. And God is going to help us. We're going to pay it off early. We're going to pay it off early. I want you to be a part of that miracle. I want you to every week, every month, every week of your life to start saying, I am going to plant seed. If you don't plant, you can't expect a harvest. God will bring benefits back. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, reading from the Living Bible, Bring all the tithe into the storehouse so there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, I will open you the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. God says, let me prove it to you. Your crops will be large. I will guard them from insects and plagues. Your grapes won't shrivel away before they ripen, says the Lord Almighty. All nations will call you blessed for you will be a land sparkling with happiness. These are the promises of the Lord Almighty. God has promised to rebuke the devourer when we bring the tithe into the storehouse. Will you turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Leviticus chapter 27, third from the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. All right, I hope you found it. I hear the pages turning. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Skip down to the latter part of verse 32. The tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. The tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Now, there are three basic principles in that passage, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, down from verse 32. First of all, the tithe is the Lord's. Everybody say that. The tithe is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Everybody say, it ain't mine. <laughs> First principle belongs to God. Second principle, it's holy. It's sacred. It is consecrated. It is devoted. It is set apart. Third principle, it is one-tenth. One-tenth, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Now, mind you, it's not 5%, it's not 15%, it's not 20%. You can't change God's mathematics. People say, I tied 15%, I tied 20%. No, you don't. Just get it straight. You tied 10%. You may give an additional 5 or 10% or whatever, but you tied. The only way you can ever say you tied is if you give one-tenth. That is what the word tithe means. It means one-tenth. 
of all that God has prospered you with. Now, I purposely did not read that if you borrow part of the tithe, you have to add one-fifth back to it because nowhere in the New Testament is that principle carried out. Understand Israel was a theocracy. They had no real king. They had an earthly man they called a king, but God was their king. And they had one religion. It was Jehovah is our God. And so he instituted some very rigorous and stiff penalties if people even borrowed the tithe. They had to add 20% back. I do not find that a New Testament principle, and so I don't teach that. But I do find it's a serious thing to bother the, the Lord, that which is consecrated to God, and so I try never to borrow it. I take it out from the top, just like it says, the first fruits, and uh, not if I have anything left over. I want to hasten in this message because I've struggled with this. I've prayed over this. I've fasted over this. I do not want to offend people who are broke, people who are hurting, people who are unemployed, senior citizens who are struggling. They don't even have enough to buy their medications and, and their food and their rent. So I want to just give you some advice on how you can get started tithing. Start at some level and tithe. You say, Lord, I know this is not my full tithe. I confess to you this is not all I owe. But I'm tithing on $10, so here's a dollar. I'm tithing on $1, so here's a dime. It's yours. And I will never fall under that. That's a starting point, and I'm going to build up until I am tithing on one-tenth of everything that I take in. Now, that's not a business. I, I believe that people have to take out the... You have to look from the profit side of a business, not all the, that comes in at the cash register because you had to buy the merchandise to put it in there. And obviously, you're not expected to tithe on the cost of the merchandise. But friends, I've learned this. You can't outgive God. If you start at a level and you keep letting it grow until finally one day you'll shout, I'm tithing on everything that I make. I believe God will bring it to pass. I believe God will bring it to pass. Also, today, and I almost went to the bank and drew out $1,000. I'm fortunate that I've got it there. I wouldn't have had to make a loan. And I was going $1,001 bills. I was going to pass it out to everybody here this morning. We got more than that, so I had to get more money. And, uh, and let you use that. I was going to give it to you, not a loan, a, a gift, and let you give that back to God in some way as a, a person planting seed and watch it grow. Just watch it grow. Just watch it grow. Then I decided, well, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar or a dime. If all people can afford is a dime, let them give the dime. I kept my dollars. <laughs> I'll spend it on my wife's birthday. You know, we went three years without me buying her a birthday present, without me buying her a Christmas present. We, we decided we'd sacrifice that and give it to Vision 2000. I'm trying to make up for lost time. <laughs> so I'm not giving you any money this morning. I'm giving it all to God. I want you to give whatever you can afford. I want you to make an investment in the kingdom. I want you to plant some seed. I want you to watch God work miracles. It is not enough just to confess with your mouth. You've got to do something with these hands. The Bible teaches us to go to the ants and learn a lesson. They're industrious. They work. I mean, they're like the bees. They're, they never stop. They're busy. They work. 
God wants you to apply that work principle. And as you tithe and as you give, God will bless. I've messed my notes all up, so I don't know where I'm going from here. But I said, just quit, I will. Because I'm going to take up an offering. And you know, last two, I don't think we took an offering two weeks ago on Sunday night, but I know we didn't last Sunday night. But God just blessed. Money came in anyway. We've had it on Sunday morning. Brother McGee, we started the first service. The first service went right on through my Sunday school class, right on into the second service. We didn't have the choir. We didn't have any announcements. We didn't take up any offerings. We didn't have any special songs. God just sovereignly moved, and we never missed a beat. We never lost any income. God just made up for it. You know, the most important thing to happen around here is for God to have his way and for us to have revival. We concluded our 21st day of fasting yesterday, and I believe that we're going to see results. I believe that God is going to do a sovereign work here at Evangel Temple. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But if I put a stumbling block before God, if I don't tithe, if I don't give, if I'm not generous, if I complain because a lot of emphasis is placed on money, I don't believe you could go to a church in this city that says as little about money as Evangel Temple does. But nevertheless, if that would be a gripe or if it would be a concern, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. God knows we need all the help we can get. <laughs> Friends, we need a good attitude about money. We need faith about tithing. We need to rejoice that God has blessed us. And whether it's little or much, we'd be like the widow woman with the two mites. We come and cast it in regardless of what those rich people do. We put it in. And just as thankfully and with praise to God, and Jesus said she gave more than everybody else put together. God looks on. He knows what you can afford. And you're never judged for the size of your gift. We, we don't even check, you know. I don't know what the percentage of people in our congregation is that tithe. Do you know what the national percentage is? The national percentage in church congregation is 5%. 5%. Now, I will tell you this. I know for a fact ours is many times above that. I know what percentage it is, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but it's not 100. <laughs> oh, the missed blessings, the missed favor. God said you brought it into your house, and I did blow on it. I mean, if it's stuffed under the mattress, you better go check it as soon as you get home because there has been a whirlwind through there while you're in church <laughs> and you didn't bring anything to, to put the tithe in the offering. It may not be there when you get back. <laughs> if you've planted seed and, and you watch those stalks grow and there's nothing on them, I started to bring an ear of corn and start peeling off one grain at a time and taking one grain and say, you know what this can produce? Well, let your imagination run wild. You know, friends, it can multiply itself. God multiplies. And I want his multiplication blessing in my life. I want his favor and his goodness for this congregation. Since I was a little boy, I've been a faithful tither. 
I don't believe I've ever earned a dollar. I didn't tie those. I will say this to you. If you're behind, I doubt that you can ever catch up. So I don't try to put people under bondage about that. I tell people to start right where you are now. When you got saved, you didn't have to make up for all the years you lived for the devil. God didn't require you to go back and do the good works and undo the bad things. You'd stir up more trouble than you'd ever resolve. And so I, I don't believe you can go back and make amends for where you failed financially. Just start today, right where you are, and you let God unleash his blessing. Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith God. If I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. If it didn't work, I don't believe Jesus would have put his blessing upon it. He said, you tithe mint and rue and anus coming and you omit the weightier matters of the law. He said, these you ought to have done and not leave the other undone. In Hebrews chapter 7 is the story of Melchizedek and Abraham. How Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek who was a type of Christ. And the less who would be Abraham was blessed of the better who would be Melchizedek, a type of Christ. And it says here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them that it is testified that he liveth. Jesus is the one that receives our tithe when it's committed to him and brought into the, the place where God designated. It's not enough to give to missions. It's not enough to give to a building. It's not enough to support a television preacher or a radio preacher or to support your mother-in-law. That's not tithing. Those are things that we should be doing. But the tithe is the Lord's. It's holy, it's devoted, it's sacred. If you've been misappropriating the tithe, you just haven't been tithing. <laughs> You're behind. You're one of those that's behind. Oh, I know you've been writing a check. But if it's misappropriated, you've fallen short. And when God starts blowing and things dissipate and disappear, you start reaching out, Lord, help me now, please help me, help me, help me. Like the man sliding off the roof. He said, help me, Lord, help me, please, now. And he caught his pants on a nail and he said, never mind, Lord, the nail's got me. And oftentimes, when God helps us with a nail or whatever, we fail to give him the praise and fail to keep our commitment. I know what it is. I've counseled with people who are brokenhearted because they can't afford to tithe. Just start wherever you are. Start at that level. You will never be put under bondage. You will never be thought any less of and begin to add to that until you're tithing on 100% of that that you should be tithing on down the road and you'll be shouting the victory one day that God has helped you to achieve your goal.